Coming up today on Eagle Eyes on Tech, the EU could possibly force Apple to actually innovate their ports for once in their blasted life. Microsoft has announced several different service devices and seems to have just absolutely lost the value of money at all. And much, much more. Some talk about NVIDIA's new GPUs. Twitch, of course, signing a DMCA deal. And all coming up on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Good afternoon, good evening, North. So I'm going to read this. Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon. I think this is the week where just all the crazies came out and showed they were in charge of things, dude. Holy cow. That Microsoft. All right. So I talked about this a little bit on the podcast. I tried something new on my YouTube channel. I tried a tech keynote sins and honestly it performed less than expected it's it performed worse than a lot of my clip videos so that kind of tells me how much desire there is for for that sort of thing but holy cow microsoft and their ability to present makes me want to just bring it back up freaking who cares if it doesn't perform well? They just need to be ripped on. Holy cow. Holy cow. I legitimately think that the main presenter was high. I'm not sure on what, but I'm fairly certain it was something stronger than marijuana. Just, they seem so out of it. Just like on an absolute, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. We still got to take care of the rest of the tech stories, starting with Apple having an unpatched macOS vulnerability that allows remote attackers to execute code on your Mac. And as of the time of recording this, I'm currently scanning through to make sure there isn't an update to the story. But as of right now, there is no patch available right now on macOS for this vulnerability. It is executed using links in emails. So if you're on a Mac, be very, very, very careful what links you you click because all it takes is one click from this vulnerability and hippity hoppity, your Mac is no longer your property. It, it belongs to them. Whoever them is. Woo! You know what the worst part is? Concerning Apple's track record with security patches? It's going to be three weeks before this is patched. Mac fanboys want to praise Apple for being ahead of the curve when it comes to security. They make freaking Microsoft look like a SWAT team on speed. Macs don't get viruses, by the way. Just a friendly reminder. 
on that one. So be careful what you click for on. Be careful what you click on on macOS and patch as soon as you can, which will most likely be November. Sony has also fixed a uh, an issue I actually was shockingly unaware of, even though this seemed like right in my warehouse. This issue is referred to as C-bomb. Basically, a problem within the um, within older consoles, the PS4, and I believe this also affects the PS3. The PS3, three, four. And some PS5s have this vulnerability called C-Bomb. What ends up happening is that the anti-cheat engine inside the Sony PlayStation, if the CMOS battery dies, I st- uh, yes, I also cannot believe we still use a CMOS battery after all these years, but I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I digress. If that dies, the clock resets back to factory original and... And you cannot run many, many, if not all, games on that console, whether it be from disc or offline or online. And even after you switch out the battery, even if you work up the courage, take out a screwdriver, get in there, and replace a CMOS battery, which, by the way, is like 30 cents. I think it's actually even cheaper than that. I think I paid like three bucks for a 12 pack of those button cell batteries. It still doesn't matter. Your console is still bricked. Except now it's not. There is a patch, a firmware update that is now out and you absolutely should go download it i actually should plug in my ps4 and make sure that it is updated because i can't remember the last time i actually even took it off the shelf maybe i'm really unlucky i have a bad cmos battery in it and now it's just all my plans for it are ruined that would bite oh boy oh boy oh boy and as someone in the chat mentioned don't worry your cmos battery will eventually fail because all batteries eventually fail though i will give the cmos battery credit sometimes you get really lucky with a cmos battery and it'll last decades like i know a guy who works on older computers and i mean like older older like he's currently in the middle of restoring an apple IIe older and he's had boards that clearly still have the original CMOS battery in them, and they're still kicking. And that battery, and that internal clock is still going. And I got nothing but just mad props for that. So patch your PlayStation. Meanwhile, Tesla, 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 just Tesla. I, th- I feel like that's all I should say. Just Tesla. Immediately assume whatever I'm about to say is just they crazy and then move on. Because that is how most of these Tesla stories end up. Get back to the point. Got it. 
the National Transportation Safety Board said that Tesla should focus on their basic safety issues. Now, their now their primary concern was, in fact, based on the full self-driving beta being very, very, very much a beta, not being full self-driving, and basically being self-driving level 2.5, I want to say. Like, it's not ready for prime time, and it's definitely not ready to be used on public roads, and yet it is! But, can I give some advice, National Transportation Safety Board? While you're considering the safety issues within Tesla, might I also point out that half their lineup right now does not have a gauge cluster. You have to take the extra second when looking for your speed to turn and look to the center screen in a non-optimal place to find your current speed. Which, of course, Tesla driver says is fine. But let's be honest, it kind of isn't. It's kind of a big eyesore in that whole sort of thing, and it's very, very distracting. Someone in chat asked, is it even legal? Apparently. Like, I asked this too. But no one's called Tesla out on it. But I've just begun. Oh, I've just begun on this whole thing. While we're at it, can we also talk about for a moment about how the latest Tesla model, the Tesla Model S Plaid, has first off a yoke steering wheel, but still has the steering sensitivity of a standard wheel. The main reason a a steering wheel is done so is because you have to go hand over hand over hand to to reach the full turning radius. A yoke normally you only turn like 33 degrees to get to the full turning radius. It's much more sensitive. That's why it's used in cars or in race cars, I mean. In a standard residential car like the Model S's, there's no top part. And you are now taking this awkward shape that, you, that, you know, Tesla owners say, of course, it's fine. It's fine. You just get used to it. It's still not safe. Like at all. But that is nowhere near as big an offensive safety hazard as in the Model S, the removal of the stalks. You don't know what I mean. In a normal vehicle, and even most commercial vehicles, behind the steering wheel, you have two levers, sometimes only one, but usually two nowadays, and they have various different controls on them, like your windshield wiper controls, your gear selection, but a Tesla doesn't have gears. You still have a drive neutral and reverse. as well as your high beams and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
the Tesla Model S Plaid got rid of the stalks and instead pushed them over to the front of the steering wheel with non-tactile capacitive buttons. You know, like your cell phone used to use for home back and menu if you used Android where there's no feel but you have to go ahead and do that for your turn signal and inevitably hit the wrong button or activate your horn by accident or turn on your windshield wiper instead of turning instead of hitting your left turn signal and then of course if you're using gloves well, you're just SOL, but I guess that's okay. Cause if you can afford $110,000 Tesla model S, that is a giant pile of, we designed this thing to be disruptive and not at all be functional. You can afford a set of $30 gloves with some silver thread th- sewn in them. Right? Right? But, you know, just some food for thought, uh, Mr. National Safety Transportation Safety Board. Just some food for thought. Thought I'd just point those out. Someone in chat says, I'm just a boomer with my buttons. You know what? You do that. You go ahead and use that steering wheel with your gloves in the middle of winter, by the way, so that you have extra no feel for where the buttons are. And you need to make a split second decision or you go ahead and try to explain to the jerk in front of you about why why you uh, sprayed your windshield wiper instead of honk the horn at him or anything else. You could say, oh, boomer, you're up with the times because I know what and I know the guy's just saying this just to push my buttons. But the worst part is, you know, the Tesla diehards are going to say this. You know it. Because God forbid they actually go ahead and think about anything other than test Elon Musk can do nothing wrong. I'm sorry, but the current batch of Tesla cars, the only one that I would actually personally buy new is the X. And that's because it doesn't have any of these hilariously bad design flaws. But of course, I'm not going to buy a Model X because I don't have a casual 120,000. How much does a Tesla Model X cost? Oh, yeah, by the way, um, the gear shifting on it, it's not on the steering column at all or the wheel. It's on the infotainment touchscreen. Good design, by the way. But it's okay. The the infotainment screen has a GeForce GPU in it. So, I mean, worst case scenario, you could buy a Tesla Model S Plaid, um, part it out, sell the GPU inside it to cryptocurrency miners, and then that makes up your entire money right there. The rest of the car, is, you can just scrap out for parts and it's pure profit. Don't actually do that, by the way. That's not how that's going to work. Someone in chat says the GPU will sell for more than a car. It might, especially the way things are going. All right, let's talk about something a bit more serious. Let's talk about China. 
and just how uh, yikes they are getting. Xiaomi and their phones has a secret built-in blacklist of phrases into the phone. But it's not as bad as you as, as it sounds. So what if the phone has a built-in filter that prevents you from saying certain things? So what if the Xiaomi phone internally prevents you from saying certain things? <laughs> Yay. It's just... Wow. And it sounds more and more like someone in chat is try is is typing in some of the uh, most common phrases that are used as uh in uh, Chinese censorship to see. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's trying to troll me or to see if there's a bot active that's going to go ahead and block it all. There's not in in this Twitch chat, by the way. I'm not, I'm not shilling for them. Oh, someone typed democracy. Okay, ban them. <laughs> anyway. It's unclear at this time if this is just something Xiaomi is doing preemptively or if all Chinese phone manufacturers are going to be doing this eventually. Which if that starts being the case... Here's a question you have to ask. Do you start avoiding a Chinese phone? That sounds easy, right? Right? Well, that would leave you with... Um, That'd leave you with Samsung, because that's Korean. Um, Apple, of course. Um, huh. I'd say LG, but rip. Nokia. Now, someone in chat saying, but they all sell the Chinese market, but they also do sell phones that are made differently to comply with various markets. So like, say if, uh, like you can go ahead and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They make Apple sells a Chinese phone. If the Chinese government requires that list, which they haven't yet, by the way, at least not publicly, then I'm trying to think of how to phrase this correctly. Then the version they sell in China to comply with China's cellular network can have that list in, but none of the rest will. This from, from Xiaomi is all phones. They sell everywhere 
has this blacklist phrase. That's why this is newsworthy. The fact that phone, that any type of electronic device has various censorship in, in it to, com to comply with local laws, that's nothing new. We've been seeing that in video games since Wolfenstein, for crying out loud. Probably even way earlier than that, too, for that fact. But Wolfenstein being, like, the most noteworthy that I can think of off the top of my head in 30 seconds. So, I mean, to say, you know, to avoid having a phone that censors you like this, to avoid all phones, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying companies like Red, not Red Cinema, I mean, Red... Um, Red Magic, Xiaomi, Huawei, even though we don't have a choice on Huawei. There's a handful of other ones too. There's a lot of like little nothing Chinese brands that occasionally makes a decent phone. And it's just like, oh, I never heard of that. Why can't I pronounce that? Oh, it's Chinese. Yeah. Motorola is uh, owned by Lenovo, which I think... Actually, I don't know where, where Lenovo's based in. I would say Asus, but they're based in Taiwan, and, well, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, China is also declaring that all cryptocurrency within China is now illegal. Before, it was just illegal to mine cryptocurrency. Now... All cryptocurrency is illegal, period. Wow. You want to go ahead and get, get some good stuff on the dark web? Not in China, you're not. You want to go ahead and earn some Dogecoin and go to the moon? Not in China. And I mean, the reason is fairly obvious. It's very, very difficult to track cryptocurrency. Not impossible, mind you, but extremely difficult. And you know, what's easier? Ban all cryptocurrency and anytime China catches anyone using cryptocurrency, all of a sudden they vanish? Or... trying to track all cryptocurrency tra transactions on a decentralized system. Yeah, this is, uh, th this is clearly all about controlling the flow of money within China. And granted, this isn't as big a step as it might appear, but it is a step towards stuff in China just getting much, much scarier. And it is something that does need to be looked at and addressed. But I don't think a whole lot of people right now are going to have the stomach for it, considering the fact that everyone is still comprehend the fact that 2021 is two-thirds over actually getting close to three 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 quarters over 
and they're still trying to process 2020. Yeah, me too. Me too. In an equally confusing move, Twitter will let you send and receive Bitcoin tips without taking a cut. I'll ask, why? Why? Who asked for this? I mean, I guess, why not? But, but why? And I know people are gonna say, why not? Like I just did there. But there has to be a reason that Twitter actually went ahead and set up a big, big infrastructure for this sort of thing and say, here you go, no cut, enjoy. And Gadget also is saying that apparently the company is working on an NFT authentication service. I don't know why. I think Twitter might have just smoked some of the good stuff and just all of a sudden bought in that crypto might be a good thing going forward. But man, I I don't know. Especially with the amount of fraud that's being done in the NFT world nowadays. And pretty much like there's only two kinds of people when it comes to NFTs. Oh, no, there's three. There's three kinds of people when it comes to an NFT. One, the people who don't get what an NFT is. Two, the true crazy believers that... uh that are just all in and think that no no wrong can ever be done with NFTs ever. Or three, people who hate NFTs just on the grounds that they put straight on the blockchain and require more and more cryptocurrency miners to power NFTs, which are also being used for fraud. Yeah, you have fun with that Twitter. And before someone says, but what the thing Twitter's looking at is an NFT authentication service to make sure there's no fraud being done with NFTs. That's not the problem. The problem with NFTs is that anyone can make an NFT. So let's say for exa- for instance, I hold up, you know, let's pretend not, let, let's, let's say someone makes a clip of my channel. All right, let's say that someone makes a clip of me saying this bit right here. They can then sell that clip as an NFT, making the, all the money off the work that I have made by the content of that clip, and I see none of it. And people are doing, and that sounds innocent enough, right? People do that all the time in YouTube. But now imagine that it's someone's actual digitally made art
Like, there's literally nothing stopping me from going onto an artist Discord, grabbing some of the art that, that some have shared, making it into an NFT, and then selling it, and then the artist sees none of it. That is the kind of nonsense that's going on. Although someone just accidentally made a very, very good point. There have been people who have turned tweets into NFTs. Which, by the way, might be the stupidest thing I have ever, ever heard. But it is, in fact, a real thing that happened. And I, for one, am still very, very sad that it has, that it has happened. <sighs> We're going to take a break here. Actually, no, I take that back. Meanwhile, while all this stuff is going on with China, Lithuania is throwing out all different kinds of Chinese phones due to censorship concerns. Had this a little out of order, but this is the story that kind of follows up with uh, what I was talking about earlier with Xiaomi. That this actually can be a bit of a problem for the phones. Oh, actually, this article actually is even nice enough to have some of the phrases that you cannot say, like free Tibet and long live Taiwan independence or democracy movement. Now, the censorship tools, according to this article, say that these are turned off, but there is literally nothing stopping them from being turned on remotely by the manufacturer. Not without... doing a lot of software work to the phone. Wee! Now, in fairness, Lithuania and China have not been the best of friends lately. But then again, with the kind of behavior that China is kind of showing lately, China's not making a whole lot of friends with anyone right now. But again... No country right now with any kind of real push power has the stomach to do anything about it because virus. Also, on from the story of horrifying things that you never, ever wanted to read in a tweet ever, firmware malware distributor Cape Technologies is now the proud owner of Express VB Express VPN, CyberGhost, private internet access, Zenmate, and more. Oh, and a collection of VPN review websites. Man, I always had a bit of a skepticism for uh, VPNs. Because they were being pitched left and right as the end-all, be-all solution to all your privacy paranoia. Just 
just download this VPN and all your troubles are over. You can take off the tinfoil hat. They can't get to you, man. Well, first there was NordVPN who uh, did not show the greatest signs of uh, security savviness. But this is far worse. And I actually know quite a few uh, tech influencers that have that have had ExpressVPN and private internet access as sponsors. I haven't heard anything out of them lately as to what their stance is on them. Actually, for that fact, I don't think I've heard Linus mention PIA in a while. But then again, right now, the way he structures his ads, the moment I hear Segway to sponsor, my brain just kind of turns off. Wonder if there, there there's some light that can be shed on uh, Linus's size side. Oh well, we'll find out down the road. When we come back, we're gonna take a break here, and when we get back the EU potentially forcing Apple to innovate their port by complete accident. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. From the German site that I am going to hilariously mispronounce, the Zudesh Zitung. Apologies to all Germans out there listening. I fully admit I do not I do not speak German at all. <laughs> Someone in chat says try again. No. <laughs> That, that, that is the best you're going to get out of me. In any case, multiple sources, the one I badly mispronounced and should be shot for being one of them. The EU, the European Union, is planning to introduce a uniform charging cable standard for cell phones. Can you guess what it is? Can you guess what it is? Come on. It can't be that hard. How bad could it be? How bad could it be? What's it going to be? What's it going to be? It, it, are the, are the anti-rights repair guys going to be right? Are we going back to micro USB? Are we going back to using a universal barrel charger? Are we going back to just using jumper cables to hook up our phones? No, it's USB-C. Of course it is. Because literally everything uses USB-C. Except for my old watch charger that still uses micro USB. But still, it doesn't surprise me at all. Now, that being said, I'm not too much of a fan of a mandate saying, hey, this is what we're going to. But I get why it's necessary because I can still remember way, 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 way back in the day when cell phones were brand new and flip phones were the coolest thing out there. I, I also simultaneously feel ancient. 
I remember cordless phones were a brand new thing. Until then, all phones had a big curly Q wire on them. I've seen a rotary phone in action. I feel like I am older than time. But getting back to the point. Back in the olden days before there was any sort of regulation on chargers, tons and tons of different phones used way different kind different kinds of voltages, polarities, and different sized barrel connectors to charge the various flip phones. And it wasn't until micro USB was kind of just mandated being used as the standard charger did everything finally start to change. Except for Apple, who tried to argue that their phone is not a cell phone. It is a interactive media tool. The biggest sin, however, is the fact that that argument worked. Someone in chat says that it was that it was thanks to Android that that change originally went to in the first. I want to say that ca that change came out before the dawn of Android, though. But I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I want to say and I want to say the micro USB mandate predates Android. But there could be some bits of the history there I'm not familiar with, I will admit that. But there is going to be an exception in the proposed bill. The exception are devices that use wireless charging only. You know where this is going, don't you? You know exactly where it's going. Come on. What? Where is this going? What have I been saying? What have I been saying is going to be something that comes out eventually. Okay, after doing some very quick research on the side here, the um, 2009 was when the micro USB mandate came in. Android was introduced in September 23rd, 2008. So the timeline does match up. Still not 100% sure if they did r relate to it, but I digress. We know exactly where it's going. It's going to a portless iPhone. It's been the rumors we've been hearing over and over and over again. And I'm willing to bet, here's what we're going to see. iPhone 14, no ports. None. Wireless charging only. iPhone Pro. I think they're going to throw Thunderbolt on there. That the iPhone Pro line is going to get USB-C because after introducing ProRes RAW, 
and that being a format being used in there, they will never hear the end of it if they don't have some easy way for wannabe filmmakers. And I do mean wannabe, because there's no actual filmmaker that's going to go ahead and use an iPhone exclusively as their only shooting device unless they are absolutely crazy. And use USB-C or Thunderbolt or USB-4, depending on who you ask, to transfer those massive files off. Now, chat's actually getting ahead of me here. The question then, of course, is, well, those sort of devices, what's going to happen data-wise? Well, it was found that the wireless Qi charging that Apple is using on the Apple Watch does, in fact, support transferring data wirelessly it's just not used currently so it wouldn't surprise me at all if the bigger magsafe chargers that are in the iphones and are basically just the apple watch one on steroids also could transfer data but keep in mind we're not talking about anything impressive here I still think the iPhone Pro will have that USB-C port. But. The other devices. The, 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 the plain Jane base iPhone will not. Someone asked, doesn't that become a plug at some point? So. The discovery is just on the spec. It's not used right now on the Apple Watch, but the theory is that, hey, you go ahead and have USB to MagSafe, put the phone in the MagSafe puck, and then it can transfer data. That's the working theory. Right now, this discovery is only through FCC filings. No one has actually done it in the field yet but you know someone's gonna try and it should be relatively easy seeing as how most of what apple uses right now is just their proprietary nonsense to usb-c to their own proprietary nonsense brick so someone's gonna go ahead and hack away in but you know what I love? You know what I love the most out of all this? And why I say this is going to force Apple to innovate? Right now, the iPhone uses Lightning. Okay? Just Lightning. Lightning still transfers data at USB 2.0 speeds. You can actually get data off the phone faster via Bluetooth than you can over USB 2.0. Actually, knowing Apple, there's probably some kind of software in it limiting the transfer rates of Bluetooth. Oh yeah, and chat, of course, is just like they want you to use iCloud. Of course they do. But you know what Apple says in regards to the regulation? That basically, the way it's written out and if you look at the way I just mentioned, it is tailor-made for them. 
But Apple, in their reflexive, stubborn ways, said the following. We remain concerned that strict regulation mandating just one type of connector stifles innovation rather than encouraging it, which in turn will harm consumers in Europe and around the world. You know, Apple, you could make that argument if your connector wasn't stuck in what? 2011? 2012? Well, now I have to go ahead and Google Lightning Port release date. 2012 was when the Lightning connector was first introduced. This blasted connector is almost 10 years old. But you know what slays me even more? What slays me so much more? There are Apple fanboys on social media that are defending the lightning port. Why? I don't know. The only reason I can think of is that they still have some oddball accessory that uses lightning. But you can see the right on the wall. Lightning is all but gone from the iPad lineup. The only model that has it left is the legacy model. The plain Jane just slightly over $300 iPad, nothing else. Everything else in the iPad line got rid of it. Although their phone, although their uh, their AirPods still have Lightning on it, so I mean there is that too. <sighs> Meanwhile, though, um, Apple's sense of innovating is. Releasing iOS 15, which gets you one step closer to having a good chunk of the features that you have on Android. Yay! So yeah, I, iOS 15 is out. You should go download it. Update for your iPhone and so on and so forth. There was actually a big big uh, security issue on older iPhones and there actually are it was, it was actually big enough that Apple went ahead applied the security patch to older versions of the iOS that are only available with certain models to make sure it's patched on those too Apple pulled a Microsoft Ooh. crazy absolutely crazy Meanwhile, there are rumors that there is going to be a Pixel Fold soon launched alongside the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. I have a question. Who believes this rumor?
Crickets? No one? There's been very, very little chatter about a Pixel Fold lately. There has been some little this and that's an old frickin' patent that's been dug up here and there. All the focus right now on the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro is on that custom SoC and the cameras. That's what every single leak has been focused on. And the fact that there are leaks means that there are leakers. And if you are a leaker, what are you going to leak? A shot of a camera bump on the phone or the good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That being said, though, I didn't include it in, uh, in the podcast today, but one headline amused me. Oh, 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 so very much. From The Verge. Tim Cook says employees who leak memos do not belong at Apple, according to leaked memo. (laughs) I wonder if there was a recent uh, retirement at Apple, too, shortly after this report. Let it always be said, in the tech world, there is always going to be a leak. Always, always, always. We're going to take, we're going to take another break here a bit early because I want to have all the gaming stuff all in nice one wonderful batch talk. Opening up with the National Music Publishers Association deal with Twitch. Are we free of DMCA? No, we'll tell you exactly what it does mean though. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so Twitch has made a deal with the National Music Publishers Association to help ease the restrictions of uh, copyright music on Twitch. Basically, you know what this amounts to? Twitch and YouTube are now on an even playing field when it comes to copyright music. That's basically what it amounts to. Before, if you played copyright music on Twitch, and by the way, this applied to if you played copyright music live, not just on your VODs, you would immediately get a strike and potentially be terminated. No warnings, no ifs, ands, or buts, because of course, the claim, which we refer to as a strike, can result in a lawsuit against Twitch. The new agreement now instead 
allows for review and instead warnings being issued and allow time for content creators to take down infringing content or even just make the argument of I'm sorry this isn't fair use it's built into the game there's not much I can do I am bringing my own commentary to it this falls under the fair use act of the DMCA now there's that breathing space to do so This actually, some would argue, and I will argue actually, puts Twitch actually a step above YouTube when it comes to being copyright safe. Because although, as far as warning levels, this puts Twitch and YouTube on equal playing field, Twitch, YouTube, however, has the burden of their copyright claiming system having a massive amount of automation and more importantly, abuse, abusing that automation. The outro of this podcast, which is Shkala's theme from the abandoned independent project Chrono Trigger Resurrection, It, no one holds the copyright to that music. No one. Someone actually told me the name of the composer of it. And I wish I would remember, but I don't, unfortunately, right now. But on YouTube, it got copyright claimed all the time usually by rap artists who would use little bits and pieces of music they didn't compose in their rap but then accuse people like myself who use the whole track of an abandoned piece of work that no one claims rights to and say that I own that whole podcast They use less of the track than I did, but they try claiming ownership of the whole podcast. The YouTube system is ripe with abuse, and it's gotten better, but it's still everywhere. The Twitch system, on the other hand, as of right now, as of saying this, before I have accidentally jinxed it, does not have any of this kind of abuse as of yet. So as of right now, the Twitch system actually puts themselves a step above YouTube, but I also admit, not by much. This also doesn't mean you should go ahead and grab your entire Disturbed album and just start blasting it while you go ahead and play Valorant. You also should hopefully go ahead and, uh, well... Trying to make your streams a bit more inventive than just doing that.
Someone asked in chat, will a cover band still try to copyright claim the FF7 boss theme from, from a stream? They can still try. But you can also throw back, throw that back and say, you know, you're, you're not the original holder anyway. You did a cover of it. You're, you're not Nobu. This now gives you that breathing room to throw that counterclaim back at them, like you do in the YouTube system. Meanwhile, over in the Linux world, Epic Online has launched a new anti-cheat support system for Linux, Mac, and the Steam Deck. So this means now a lot of games that previously wouldn't play on Linux and Steam. I'm not going to say Mac. You're, you're not, you, you know bloody well you're not playing games on Mac. No, you're not. Stop lying to yourself. And Clash of Clans isn't a game. It's a soul sucker. You know it. I know it. And you don't have Fortnite anymore. So checkmate. But I digress. The new anti-cheat support, support, support system will allow plenty of epic, on, epic games that normally wouldn't play on these platforms now playable on it, which is a big, huge step forward for the Steam Deck. Everyone wants to talk about right now with the Steam Deck about how it's, you know, a Switch-like form factor, despite the fact the controllers don't come off, which is the whole point of a Switch, but I digress. And the fact that you can just play, hey, you can play these games at 720p, 30 FPS, play it very well, very consistently at that, and play on the go. Hey, this is the portable PC device you've been waiting for. But the elephant in the room is that it's still running Linux. And although gaming on Linux is worlds, underline, worlds better than it once was, there are still limitations. This, however, launching for Linux is a huge step forward for gaming on a platform that isn't Windows or a game console. And for that, we say good. On the other hand, there is also the what is it all going to do to the operating system? There's been plenty of stories in the past of anti-cheat mechanisms causing all kinds of fun damage to Windows. Will this do the same to Linux? I guess in the end, only time will tell. It only just launched. We'll see how it goes on someone else's hardware other than mine or your own. Meanwhile, on the, on, uh, on the Xbox, Microsoft Xbox has been updated with the latest version of the Edge browser, specifically the Chromium version. So now, 
you can basically do anything on an Xbox that you can do in a browser. Yes, my friends. The Microsoft Xbox now has all the functionality of a Chromebook. In addition to being an Xbox, so it actually is a good thing. But this also means you can do things like fire up Parsec and cloud game on a real platform or play Stadia on your Xbox. Why you'd want to play Stadia on your Xbox, I don't know, but you could do it. You could fire up the browser version of Discord and find all kinds of crazy stuff on there. You could do a lot. Now that there's actually a full-blown version of a browser on the Xbox. In all seriousness though, hey, Nintendo, do it. Do it. Put a real full-blown browser on the Switch. Do it. Come on. You know you wanna. Do it. You won't. But you should. Do it. Someone in the chat says they have one, you just can't access it. If a tree falls in the woods and you can't access it, does it make a does it does it does it make a sound? No. Making me stutter on the tree analogy. Speaking of Nintendo, though, Nintendo had a uh, very interesting little Nintendo Direct. All kinds of various games announced. We're not, we don't have the time to go into them all today. But one thing that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb is an update to their Switch Online service, allowing the play of a virtual console of N64 games and Sega Genesis games. Although, um, the list leaves a lot to desired. At launch, the N64 titles will include Super Mario 64. So yeah, if you already bought the, uh, the anniversary edition of, of Mario, guess what? One of the games you bought can now just be offered for free for a monthly subscription. Whoops. Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, Yoshi's Story, The Legend of Zelda and Ocarina of Time, Win Back Covert Operations, Mario Tennis, Dr. Mario 64, and Sin and Punishment. You know what I'm really disappointed with, though? They didn't add one of the best horror games of the Nintendo 64 on there. They didn't add a Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Why? Do we want some horror games on our, on our Nintendo Switch? On the Sega Genesis, yes, by the way, in case you forgot, Nintendo now owns Sega. 12-year-old me wouldn't believe it e either, but here we are. We have Castlevania Bloodlines, Contra Hardcore, spelled not exactly as you think, 
Dr. Robotnik's mean bean machine, Echo the Dolphin, all right, I'm sold, Golden Axe, Gunstar Heroes, Musha, Fantasy Star 4, Rise Stars, Shining Force, Shinobi 3, Sonic 2, Streets of Rage, and Strider. And probably the most baffling thing about all this is that um, it is heavily implied, if not said straight out, because... I'm not going to lie, after a few other things mentioned in the Nintendo Direct, the whole Nintendo Direct feels like a fever dream. The monthly price to include those is on a separate tier. Normally, the Nintendo Online membership is paid on a yearly basis at roughly $4 a month. We do not have word yet, which is really obnoxious, about how much this new tier is going to be on the platform. If I had to guess, I would say it's going to be closer to like $6 a month. I do not think it's going to be that big a deal. Like Nintendo's usually pretty good about keeping these costs relatively low and just being a, oh, whatever, you're fine. sort of prices on that unless it comes to buying a physical game then they smoke all of it when it comes to these subscriptions they seem to be reasonable but if you want a remaster of three classics oh no that's 60 bucks and by remasters i mean basically ports there's just days when nintendo giveth and nintendo taketh away and by taketh, I mean your wallet. Side by side with that, though, is Switch compatible copies of the of the classic Nintendo 64 controller. That's wireless, by the way. And the Sega Genesis controller pad. Also wireless. Yeah. Both of them $50 each, only available if you're a Nintendo Switch online member. I want to know what kind of nightmare it's going to be playing Nintendo Switch games with the N64 controller. And part of me does want to be mad at $50 each, but I mean, I then look at the, the Switch Pro controller. And like that is a fairly decent controller. The D-pad leaves much to be desired. That controller was actually 80 bucks, which that felt really steep. I guess I can't be too mad at this. Fifty bucks though still feels like a lot of money for a novelty controller. Like the more and more I think about it, the more and more I want to be mad at it, but the more and more I understand. Oh, by the way, Pokemon Unite is now on iOS and Android for free. I wouldn't play it though. I wouldn't. 
Oh, it's made by Tencent. Oh, I didn't even know, realize that. I just, I just kind of glanced down in the article because that was all I really had to had to say about it. Hey, look, it's on iOS and Android. I don't care. It's by Tencent. Even more reason for me not to play Pokemon Unite. Oh, I regret nothing. All right, so that's all we're gonna talk about from Nintendo, right? That's all we're gonna talk about from Nintendo. Right? Yeah, okay, let's talk about the thing that everyone wouldn't shut up about. Um, Nintendo reminded us that they were gonna be making an animated Mario movie at the Nintendo Direct, and they have announced the voice actors, and, um... A lot of people are very upset about the voice choices. We have Chris Pratt as Mario, who, by the way, plays Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. So you have some context, because I actually need to be told that. I am terrible with actor names. Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be playing Peach. I know nothing about her. Charlie Day as Luigi. Charlie Day, for those who don't know, plays uh, one of the uh, idiot characters in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Jack Black is voicing Bowser. Keegan-Michael Key is playing Toad. And Seth Rogen is playing Donkey Kong. So my thoughts. I want to see where this is going. I am legitimately curious to see what's going. So many of these choices just seem out there. But at the same time, clearly the casting directors saw something when they were making this call. Maybe Chris Pratt does a does a good good Mario. Maybe we're going for something a bit more serious rather than the comical. Here we go. Sort of attitude. Charlie Day, I think, is perfect for Luigi. I have, again, I know nothing about uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Maybe good, maybe not. I don't know. Jack Black is Bowser. I... I don't know what they're thinking there. I really don't. I have never seen Jack Black play any role like Bowser, and I'm legitimately curious about that, but that is nothing, underline nothing, compared to the absolute, complete confusion I have of Keegan-Michael Key, one of the, com- one of the comedians for the duo Key and Peel, playing Toad.
this is a move that is just absolutely baffling me. And I legit, I actually want to see this movie now. I didn't care, but these casting choices are now so bizarre. I want to see this. Because we saw similar casting choices in, in fact, someone actually mentioned in the chat, in the Sonic movie, and it seemed bizarre. But they worked. They worked really well. The same can't be said for the original uh, uh, SFX studio, or not the SFX, the, the original FX studio that did the Sonic, that did the original Sonic. But I digress. I want to see how this is going to go. I really, really do. Because some people are saying Jack Black's a, g- a good fit for Bowser. I'm having a hard time seeing it just because. Yeah. I- I'm having a hard time imagining Jack Black as Bowser. And people are, people are saying if I've ever seen Brutal Legends, you could totally see uh, how, how good Jack Black's could probably play Bowser. Uh, maybe. Chris Pratt. I've never seen Chris Pratt outside of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Are we going to bother with uh, with trying to fake an Italian accent? Maybe Chris Pratt and Charlie Day can do really good Italian accents. Maybe we're just going to drop them. They're cartoon characters. Who cares? They never, never really ha- had an, an Italian accent outside of just like random sound lines in, in the later games. Oh yeah, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. I think after the after the shock of the original cast, Donkey Kong having a voice out, outside outside of grunts and other sounds is like nothing compared to the rest of this. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We're expected to see this in a year and a half, basically. Supposed to be holiday 2022. Actually, probably about a year. Oh, God, 2021 is going fast. We're going to take our last break here when we come back. Surface. We're going to talk about the Microsoft Surface event. Oh, boy, we have to talk about the Microsoft Surface event. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. As I was going through and uh, pulling up some stuff, one thing that kind of just showed up in my little Twitter feed here, Elon Musk and Grimes have split up after three years. No one knows what is going to happen to uh, their kid named after a keyboard face roll, but... uh, It looks like at least it looks like the one person you thought would be able to tolerate Elon Musk apparently couldn't. I have no further details other other than my quick 
quip that I gave right there. In the end, we'll just have to see. All right, so Microsoft announced a number of devices. First off is the Surface Pro 8. Basically, it is a 13-inch tablet with a 2880 by 1920 screen resolution, 128, or I'm sorry, 120 hertz refresh rate, 3 by 2 aspect rate ratio, rocking either a quad-core Core i5 1135G7 processor or a quad-core Core i7 1185G processor. Which, for those who don't know what that clock speed is, like myself, it is... Ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Loading. It is a 1.2 gigahertz processor at the least and can turbo up to 4.8 gigahertz with a recommended upwards frequency of 3 gigahertz. So, I mean, a decent processor, but still quad core and i imagine we're going to see similar things with the core i5 version as well you also notice how in these tech specs they're telling us nothing about the processor they want you to go ahead and do all the work in figuring this out between 900 megahertz and 2.4 gigahertz frequency speed, max turbo up to 4.2. Yeah, running Windows Windows 11 Home. We do finally have Thunderbolt on this tablet, which starts at $1,100, which is a lot to ask for what it is. And I did actually intend on doing a massive comparison of these products versus their competitors. But unfortunately, the only competitor I could find on such short notice was a Lenovo tablet from the ThinkPad line that, was th that had Intel processors that were three generations old. So no one even feels like competing with the Surface in this segment. And it is kind of sad. Let's actually take a look at what these can configure up to. Upwards to $2,600 for the Core i7 with 32 gigs of RAM and a one terabyte SSD. Wow. That's a... Uh... $2,600 for what's essentially a thin and light laptop with integrated GPU. That is a hard pill to swallow. Oh, and if you want the black edition, you can't get the baseline or the highest end lines. A very odd decision. In addition, Microsoft released what they're calling the Surface Laptop Studio. 
The Surface Laptop Studio is an abomination to man, as far as I can tell. That uh, says that it uses industry-leading cooling technology, which, as far as I can tell, is two fans. Using the latest in graphical prowess technology, which is an, an NVIDIA GeForce 3050 Ti Super. Oh no, just a TI. Not the, wait. No, just a TI. And it is equipped with desktop grade processors. Which includes the um, Intel Core i5-11300H, which is a quad-core processor that that is a 2.6 gigahertz processor turbos up to 3.1 gigahertz and can max turbo up to 4.4 but it's still only a quad core but desktop grade performance mind you that's desktop grade right there but it's okay if you want more power they got it because you can upgrade to a Core i7-11370H, which is quad-core. With 3 gigahertz base, 3.3 gigahertz turbo, and 4.8 gigahertz max turbo. But it's 10 nanometers. It's 10 nanometers. Look out. Their biggest selling point is that this laptop can flex over into a tablet if you so desire with their touchscreen. But here's my biggest problem this thing starts at $1,600. With the Core i5, 16 gigs of RAM, 256 gig SSD, and Intel integrated GPU for $1,600. You want that desktop grade class GPU, that RTX 3050, $2,100, but at least now you're getting the Core i7 with it. And this thing goes up to an eye watering. $3,100 for the Core i7, 32 gigs of RAM, 2 terabyte SSD, and RTX 3050. You can get a real gaming laptop for less than that. What are they smoking? They really went on the stage and tried to pr promote this as some kind of powerhouse. It it would take me way less time than it actually would because freaking HP and Dell's websites are abysmal abominations to website kind. For specking this stuff out, this makes the MacBook Pro look cost effective. 
Let that sink in for a second. Microsoft, you've out-appled Apple. But it's okay, you have the touchscreen. That's definitely worth the $1,000 premium. What is going on? And of course, there is the red elephant in the room. Where are the AMD options? AMD right now has far, far more efficient and powerful CPUs with the better integrated GPUs. But you went Intel? You could have got the price down, which meant more money in your pocket. But you went Intel. Literally the only thing at the at the at the at the service announcement honestly that i would even recommend to anyone is the surface go 3 an update to the current surface goes this is their baseline 10 inch tablet someone in chat probably nailed it that it's a supply issue And Thunderbolt. Like, that's probably it. But back to the point of the Surface Go. The Surface Go is marketed as just like a cheap, anyone can grab it, Windows tablet that also functions as a laptop with a keyboard. keyboard. Also, by the way, this, the other thing that actually was kind of eye-watering about the Surface Pro 8, and I actually forgot to cover talk about it, the type cover. The cover on uh, that goes onto the Surface Pro to give you that keyboard, that trackpad, and a and a stylus. Two hundred and eighty dollars extra. Extra. To your eleven hundred dollar tablet. You're talking a, a $1,400 thin and light laptop. It's crazy. Meanwhile, in the Surface Go line, we're using, you know, not very impressive processors. We're rocking, you know, an Intel Pentium 6700 Gold, which is a... Ba -ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. Probably a dual core processor. Yep. Dual core, 1.1 gigahertz, max turbo up to 3.4 gigahertz. But you know, it's a tablet. It's whatever. Or an Intel Core i3-10100Y. As in, why do we have this model number? which is also a dual core processor, 1.3 gigahertz with a 3.9 gigahertz boost. 
But the important thing with both of these processors is that they are a ridiculously low TDP. Five watts on both. They're basically mobile class processors. But with that, you're getting four to eight gigabytes of RAM. And the sucker starts at 400 bucks. It's honestly not bad. I personally would go with the mid-tier model for 550. That gets you up to eight gigs of RAM. That gets you 120 gigs of internal storage. Then the type covers they give with that is $100 for black and 130 for any other color. Just stick with the black cover. And the other one, you're talking 650. And you've got a very respectable thin and light portable laptop. That's honestly not bad. Like I can justify that more than literally anything else that Microsoft is selling here. Like if there's any positive to take away with this, with this keynote, this presentation, it's this Surface Go 3. People spending 400 bucks on a Chromebook, save a little bit more and full functional laptop, done. Brand new. That's even without going to the used market. Now, someone in chat, of course, said, you know, I'd be more interested in the framework laptop, honestly. Well, the problem is that the framework laptop, which is a good laptop, by the way, that is, you know, an eight, nine hundred dollar point of entry. If there's one thing I've learned from being in the used laptop market, people have two price points. Seven hundred dollars and two hundred dollars. For whatever reason, there is almost nothing ever in between. I don't know why. But I mean, if you had to hold a gun to my head and say, find one positive note out of the, sur out of the surface announcement, there it is, the Go 3. Actually, I need to double check the prices on the framework laptop too. I actually don't know if we actually even talked about the frame framework laptop here on Eagle Eyes on Tech. Modular laptop components are easily repairable. Like the framework laptop would definitely be my go-to for a thin and light, but I also, I love getting my hands dirty. I really, really do. Yeah, their base model starts at 750 bucks. And that's if you're building it yourself. I think with that, you have to provide your own Wi-Fi, which you can buy from there. You have to provide your own operating system too, which is a big cost, unless you go Linux. So, I mean, yeah. The framework laptop is Windows 11 compatible. Any computer is Windows 11 compatible if you're brave enough. I mean, let's be honest. All right. 
we, we're, we're running short on time. Let's actually get, get to the rest of it. The final thing that was announced, the Surface Duo 2. Microsoft's second generation dual screen Android phone. Which now it features some things that people have been asking for. A higher end processor, a better camera, a camera bump apparently. People wanted that. The camera is actually a triple screen. It has 5G. It's rocking a Snapdragon 888. You know, there's a lot to like here. There's a lot of potential. I mean, it's a big screen phone with two screens. Productivity monster. But of course, there is a giant elephant in the room. starting price of $1,500. Yikes. And considering the fact that Samsung got one of their folding phones to sub 1,000, It's making Microsoft look like an absolute chump in the phone space. It really, really does. I cannot even begin to state my disappointment anymore. Someone in chat says, hey, this one doesn't fold, so it lasts longer. Yes and no. Because you know what's going to happen. Because they made the body so thin. Actually, there's a really good question. What would last longer? The Surface Duo or the Fold? The Surface Duo is thinner than the Fold. So the body's more likely to snap in half. You got two, sh- you got Four pieces of glass that can shatter. I don't know. I actually am curious that you're you're less likely to damage the screens. That much is for certain. There is, of course, the hinges too. the The Surface Duo One had really good hinges. These look similar. But I'm not testing that for 1500 bucks. Are you mad? There's no way. Absolutely, I would not test that. Not in a million years. All right, let's get our last stories out, out, out of the way. Boxia has managed to hit 14,000 megabytes per second using a PCI Express 5.0 SSD. You want to talk about perform? There's two things that matter right now in the data center. How fast your main storage is and how big your vault storage is. There's a report that actually hit my radar before I went live. I didn't have a chance to look too much into it. Saying that Seagate plans on making a 60 gig 
three and a half inch hard drive, or I'm 60 gig, 60 terabyte hard drive soon. Which is going to help massively in the vault storage area. How much storage you can fit and how small a space. But also in your hot storage, how fast can you access it? Because you're now getting more and more processors that have huge amounts of throughput and I.O. speeds and PCI Express lanes to manage with AMD Epic. But it's not going to matter if you saturate the bus. Well, now you can hit 14,000 megabytes. That's, that's, that's insane. That is absolutely insane. And I guarantee you that is going to be used pretty much in no gaming computer ever, but definitely, definitely used in the commercial data space. IKEA is also going to be selling an invisible wireless charger for your iPhone, Android, and Android phones in October. And there is no amount of money right now that could possibly be given to me for me to try and pronounce whatever the heck they are calling this thing. What is it about the Swedish? And just any name from Ikea being literally unpronounceable. What is that? The Shijomark? Probably not. I have no idea. But apparently that's a thing we can look forward to at Ikea soon. Invisible wireless chargers, which are actually ones that are just hot hidden under the desk. Speaking of other things that are going to be brand new, um, Amazon, while Condoline getting into retail, is going to have high-tech dressing rooms that totally won't spy on you. Totally. By using various bits, they can go ahead and use You know, you know, I just can't look at this and not just think there's no way that there's going to be, you know, naked photos leaked out at some point through one of these things. It's going to happen. Like if Amazon isn't spying on you, someone's going to hack into one of these things and use it to spy on people. It's just going to happen. But the whole concept is to let shoppers scan a QR code for items on the floor and then have someone anonymously without ever seeing you just slide you the new items while you're in the in the fitting room. And then there's no problem. None whatsoever. You know what, though? At least it's Amazon making these fitting rooms and not Facebook. That, for one, I am grateful for although maybe amazon should look into these miniature robots that are designed to help run groceries and carry errands i mean the other way around carry groceries and run errands these little robots coming from coming from vespa can just travel alongside you and basically just be a mobile trunk these are specifically being called the 
Gita Mini and are roughly the size of a medium-sized dog and can do all kinds of various things such as, or I'm sorry, are programmed with various things such as pedestrian etiquette, will wait on people, wait for traffic, and all of that sort of thing. Not going to lie, it is pretty cute. And I can't wait to see one in the wild in the year 2525, assuming man is still alive. This thing can carry a grand total of 20 pounds or 32 kilograms. Wait a minute, I thought there were more... I thought a kilogram was heavier than a pound. I'm now, I've, I now feel a little crazy. Yeah, one kilogram is heavier than a pound. It's 2.2 pounds to a kilogram. How the heck is this so off then? This should be nine kilograms then. No, it's not even that because 20 kilograms is 44 pounds. Anyway, this robot that, that carries an unknown amount of weight is expected to cost roughly two... Point nine thousand dollars. Oh, there's the real question. What kind of pounds are they using? I'm assuming not Doctor Who money. I don't know, man. I don't know. They're being a little crazy. Maybe they accidentally hit a three instead of a one. No, because that's only 9.07 kilograms. Speaking of I am losing my mind, we go to the last burb, the last story of the day, the weirdest story of the week. And this story is a mixture of bizarre and I am losing faith in all of humanity. Catherine Garland, an astrophysicist, started seeing a problem in 2017. She was teaching an engineering course, and her students were using simulation software that were being used to model turbines for jet engines. She laid out the assignment clearly, but student after student was calling over for help, saying they were getting an error message that the program couldn't find their files. In the end... The students were unable to navigate a file structure system. Ladies and gentlemen, the iPhone generation is starting to hit school and they don't know what a file explorer is. Oh, no. 
Oh no. This is this is this is this is this is the sign right here. We're doomed. We are actually doomed. Yeah, everything just works. Everything just freaking works. <laughs> Chat's just giving up. I'm ready to be roboticized. I don't want to be human anymore. We're done. We're so done. This is actually like a real, like real talk here. As funny as this story is, and how much it just makes people just shake their head. This actually is a real problem. In the education of these kids. The concept of, oh, you don't need to know this or, oh, you don't need to do that because you've got freaking a calculator on you or oh, the freaking the phone on, on you manages all the files for you. You don't need to know a file structure. Yes, you do. You still need to know how the calculator managed to make two plus two equal four. You still need to know where the heck your files are because you never know when in fact there's going to be some manner of corruption in the file pathing and you need to find that file manually to recover it. And the fact that we're not teaching kids this because of course, oh, well, your Android phone does it automatically or, oh, hey, your freaking iPhone doesn't even have a file structure. It just does it whatever. Nobody cares. What else, bro? Or worse yet, your Chromebook doesn't have a file structure because everything's on the freaking cloud. You start having a problem understanding how to do basic sort of stuff. I mean, heck, we were talking about um, this a couple uh, a couple days ago, actually, on stream about why I have a uh, a mug for uh, Chubby Emu, who is a YouTuber that talks about medicine. I'm not a doctor. I have parents who who are who are nurses, but I'm not a doctor. But at the same time, those sort of videos were, were, where Dr. Bernard, a.k.a. Chubby Emu, goes through and says, what went wrong? Why eating a full bottle of nutmeg is deadly? Or why eating a freaking laundry pod can cause severe respiratory damage? It leads to those people doing that exact same sort of stupid thing that was just mentioned. It may seem trivial to teach someone how the file structure works or how a command line works in technology, but without that basic understanding, they find it difficult later on down the road to function. And it's how you get people unable to find their homework because they don't understand the file structure or ending up in the hospital because they downed 16 ounces of nutmeg. And that is the real problem in all this. As funny as it is that future engineers cannot navigate Windows Explorer. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. 
Thank you so much for listening. I do encourage you to check out my other works, twitch.tv slash Eagle Falcon, anchor.fm slash Eagle Eyes on Tech, where, where this podcast has its home, and also anchor.fm slash early burb briefing, where we have a daily podcast. Take care, and I hope you have a great day. Now, what I really am truly fearful of is if this problem was found in a Cisco networking class. Although that being said, I know all this sort of stuff with file management, but I still can't get the blasted inkjet printer to work. It has one job, one job, and it still absolutely sucks at it.